<laughs> I, I need to ask the ushers to pass out that other thing that I have to pass out. I have a sermon illustration. When it comes, just take one out of the bowl and put it in your pocket or your purse, and we'll talk about it a little bit later. It's one of these. And so um, we'll just uh, let them do that. And while they're doing that, um, I, I want to uh, just say I'm grateful to the people who've been volunteering on our building project. Um, we've made a real, pro- real, real progress out there. And um, I'm grateful, uh, the people that have been so consistently helping. And it's actually saved us. I think the, the, our contractor said it saved us thousands of dollars. We had a budget for what we wanted to do in this very first go around and uh, to get the exterior. Everybody, everybody take one, put it in your pocket or your purse and pass it on. I know this is the last thing. You, if you're in the back rows, you don't know what's coming. It's floss. And you don't want to hear it from your hygienist. The last thing you want to do is have your pastor tell you to floss. But anyway, take the little bottle of floss, box of floss and put it in your pocket or your purse. Um, does, I don't know, maybe it'll come in handy later. <laughs> and uh, we'll just let it go at that. Okay, so today's the 29th. Um, let's just real quickly visit Proverbs 29. And I picked um, verse 25. And you're going to get two translations because it's kind of cool in two translations. The fear of man brings a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord shall be safe. That's the New King James. And um, the message version is pretty cool. It says, the fear of human opinion disables. Trusting in God protects you from that. I love that. I love that uh, that amplification is really a good one. Um, we're going to open up the Word of God. Would you just agree with me in prayer? Lord, two things. First off, on the, um, the cusp of Independence Day, which in our nation, everybody takes, pretty much takes the day off and we celebrate independence. And, and uh, sometimes the meanings blur there. But, but Lord, I just want you to, to, to hear from our hearts today. We're grateful for your hand of blessing upon our nation. We ask for mercy, Lord, upon our nation. We pray for our leaders, our president, and, and legislators, and uh, judges, and, and those in authority over us, God. We, we, we pray for them, and we ask God for mercy. We ask for life. We ask God for you to grant them wisdom and favor where they need it. Lord, we're, we are grateful because your hand of blessing rests upon our nation. And the uh, second thing, Lord, is now most important. As we spend a few minutes in your word... We lean into the truth that it's your word that changes us. It's the only thing you honor above your name. So, Lord, as we examine it, we pray, Lord, that uh, your spirit would speak to us personally and group as a group. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So today um, we're wrapping up a four-part series that I've been calling Little Things, Big Differences. And um, there's been a concept that I've mentioned over and over again, if you've been here every, every week, um, and it's, it's uh, something that I think that really has the potential to p- propel you in a positive way um, if, you, if you'll latch on to it. It's a key, it's a key, it's a key thought. Um, and I, I, think, I think that so often we look at people around us that maybe you know, they're more successful than we are. They've achieved things that we haven't achieved. And, and they've done things that, that we've not been able to do. And we, we want to look at them and say... What is, what is the big thing that you've done? What, you know, what are those big things you've done that just separate you from me? How do you get there from here? And the key thought that I want to get, give to you and remind you is that it's not just the big things, but so often it's the small things that no one sees that lead to the big things that everybody wants. 
And uh, in the first week, we talked about pursuing God and getting, getting our ears open and our heart available to hear one word, just a single word from God that would help direct us and lead us through the rest of the year or who knows how long. Second week, we talked about how, how powerful our thoughts are, our thought life, and, uh, and that's important because last week we talked about how our thoughts influence our words. And of course, our words influence our actions, our actions turn into habits, and habits create a destiny for us. So um, I want to talk to you today about the power of habits, and um, you know, we might use the word disciplines. And, um, you know, there, there's this famous guy named Aristotle. You've probably heard him. I know you're all students of Aristotle. I can just see it in your faces. He said, we are what we repeatedly do. And um, that's a very, very commonly quoted deal, uh, uh, statement, where we are what we repeatedly do. I want to start today with a, with, with, a, with a powerful thought about discipline, though. But if I was going to do a survey first, and I won't ask you to raise your hands, but I think if I did this, you know, if I asked the question... How many of you would say, I'm a very, very disciplined person. I make a plan, I stick to it, and I accomplish things. I think I'd, I'd get a few hands. I would, because I know some of you are really, really disciplined. But I think, you know, if I said, well, how many of you tend to be a little bit less disciplined? Um, you know, maybe you could even tend to be a little bit undisciplined. I think the majority of hands would go up. Um, there was this study that I read about. It was a long-term study involving children. And um, they... They took a child and they left them in a room with a plate and a marshmallow. And they said to the child, if you wait until I come back, you can have more of them. But if you eat this marshmallow while I'm gone, that's it. (laughs) I think the kids were like three or four, young kids. But it was a long-term study. They wanted to see what would happen and then look at long-term characteristics in their life. And the long, long-term studies, in, in general terms, basically said that the children who wait tended to be more successful in life. I would not have waited. I mean, I would have been on that thing. It's like, I can have it now, and I, it's, you know, yeah, I would have been on that thing. I mean, I was thinking this morning that when I was a little guy, I remember, um, I don't know if it was mom or dad, but one of them said to me, we had a rule in our house, and I just realized today, today, that one of them said, when you have a bowl of cereal, two, two spoons of sugar, that's it. Because otherwise, I would have been dumping the bowl on there. I mean, so, the, you know, is there a marshmallow? Want it now or later? I would have been a now person. Um, and, and the children who opted for immediate, you know, the I'll indulge today, I'll, 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 I'm not going to worry about tomorrow, here's a marshmallow now. Um, we might conclude that that category of people would be a little less disciplined in life. And I think that's probably true. And for those of you who maybe feel like you're a little bit less disciplined, I want to give you another way to think about it. Because I don't want you to label yourself as undisciplined. Because I I, I would respectfully want to argue the possibility that you actually are disciplined. But, I mean, you are disciplined. You do have some things that consistently happen in your life. But they might tend to be disciplines that just aren't as good or as helpful as other disciplines. I mean, just a possibility. I mean, I mean, I was having this discussion with a guy recently about this very topic. And he was saying, I'm just not disciplined at all. And I'm saying, yeah, he said, no, no, I'm not. I'm not just, and he started telling me about stuff that's wrong in his life. He says, I'm, you know, I'm overweight. I'm lazy. I'm the only thing I'm really good at is video games. And he's going on. And I said, you know, I, I kept pressing. No, no, you're good at some stuff. You do some things consistently. No, I don't. Yes, I pressed until I got him to tell me. Okay, you're right. There are some things I do. 
consistently. I consistently hit the snooze button. Okay. All right. I play my video games consistently. I've never missed a meal in my life. I've, you know, so we all have disciplines. We just don't always have the best disciplines. We are disciplined. And a minute ago, I mentioned to you, I thought, you know, there's a thought that I want to give you that I think has, you know, it's a powerful thought. And it's, it's, a, it's going to be a very simple definition of discipline that I want to float. What is discipline? Discipline is simply choosing between what we want now and what we want most. What we want right now versus what we want most. And I think that everybody in this room, I'm certain that everyone in this room, you have areas of success in your life. There are some areas that you are consistent and you, and, and you achieve it. And if you look at, at that, you're going to find that everybody has some areas in our life where we have consistent disciplines. Maybe, maybe you have a good marriage. Now, if you have a good marriage, I promise you that there are some consistent disciplines in your marriage. You, you talk to each other. Maybe you eat dinner together regularly. Maybe you go for walks together. You, maybe you would consistently have a date night. Maybe you have a rule where at least once a year, you, as a couple, you get away from the kids just so you can refresh your relationship. I mean, there are some consistent disciplines. If you have a good marriage, I, I'm, I promise you they're there. That those, they're, they're there. If you're, if you're successful financially... You know, I, I, I promise you that you have some disciplines that are at, at play. You, you, you probably live underneath your income. You probably invest wisely. You're probably generous. I mean, there are things about people who are successful financially that are, that are disciplines. Those are disciplines. And the opposite is true as well. You know, if, if there's some area that you're not succeeding, you've got some disciplines that are probably just not the right, <laughs> the right disciplines because we can be... We can be inconsistent. You know, for example, I mean, this is, I, I want to say it could be in the room, but it's, it's certainly at my house, in my, in my body, I mean, in this guy, I say to myself, okay, this is the season, I'm going to work out regularly. And so I start. And I go work out, I go to the gym on Monday, and then I do it again on Tuesday. And on Wednesday, I'm thinking, you know, my elbow's a little bit sore. I think I'm going to take the day off. And then on Thursday, it's raining, and I don't feel like getting my car dirty or some other really important reason. So, I mean, and the excuses just kind of start. And then before you know it, um, I, I started something, but I ended up, I just haven't followed it through. Or, you know, I'm going to be disciplined in my eating. I'm going to be eating the right things. And on Monday, I do well, and on Tuesday, I do great, and on Wednesday, I do great. And then I've got some momentum now on Thursday and Friday, and then something happens and on Saturday the golden arches start calling my name <laughs> and those fries you know they're perfect they are perfect some of you are got your nose up in the air at me and I'm thinking and it's you know don't put your nose up about those fries they're good fries okay <laughs> and then and then and then it gets worse because you know you supersize and then you supersize again I mean and the discipline is gone and I started I meant it well I started out strong, and I asked the question, why am I so inconsistent? And I think maybe you think that. I mean, I, that's where I relate to this. I look at this thing, and I think, and, and, and here's something that encourages me. The Apostle Paul, you know, the guy who wrote an awful lot of the New Testament, one of the most, you know, effective spiritual leaders in all of Christianity ever, he struggled with that exact same weakness, that exact same problem. I love the fact that you had been visiting a certain chapter 
you had no idea that's where I was studying this week um, there in a couple places in, in Corinthians and in Romans. But, but the Apostle Paul had problems with this consistency too. And he talks about it in Romans 7. And he's pretty transparent there. And it relates to me. He, he says in verse 15, if you're wondering why you're so inconsistent, he says, I don't understand myself. For I want to do what's right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. I want to do what's right, but I can't. I want to do what's good, but I don't. I don't want to do what's wrong, but I do it anyway. Like, I want to eat an apple, but those Doritos, they taste good. They're crunchy. And you put the cheese on there. Okay, so... Okay, that's not doing myself any good. Verse 20. Um, But if I do what I don't want to do, and this kind of gets interesting now, I'm not really the one doing wrong. Really. Okay, Paul. Who is it? Here's what he says. He tells us, it's sin living in me that does it. Wow. You didn't just get out of, get out, didn't just get a get out of jail free card. You didn't just get the ultimate excuse. But you got a revelation here because this is an amazing truth. He's basically saying, by our very nature, we are not disciplined. We're not. We're not self-disciplined people. By our very nature, our sin pulls us away from God. Our very nature is bent to do the wrong thing, even though we want to do the right thing. We're bent that way. So if you ever felt like this in verse 24, here he goes. He says, oh, what a miserable person I am. Who's going to free me from this life that's dominated by sin and death? And when he answers the question, who can, who can help me overcome this temptation? Who can help me walk away from this sin? Who can help me be consistent? Who can, who can help me have the right disciplines? That's what he's asking here. And he, and he says in verse 25, thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. With Jesus' help, I can be different. With Jesus' help, I can be changed. By his power, I can be transformed. We can be transformed because Christ is in us. And Christ in us is stronger, believe it or not, than the appetite in us, the figurative and the literal one. Christ in us, not, 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 not the power of me that I muster up in me, because me in me is, is, is not strong. It's, it's not as strong as the sin that wants to you know, take me to where what's wrong. I mean, but Christ in me is stronger than the appetite that's in me. It's, and it's not because I'm disciplined, because I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> but we become spirit disciplined because the spirit of the Lord empowers us to do what's right. The things that we're actually incapable of doing on our own. And then the Holy Spirit helps us to choose what we want most instead of what we want now. Some of you, you know, I'm guessing, because it's true for me, You've been trying in some area of your life probably for years. And today, could, today could be the day that you get set free. <laughs> the thing is, you're never going to be self-disciplined all on your own because our self is bent towards sin. But when the Spirit takes over in you, 
that very same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, that spirit, when that spirit gets in there, you can be self-disciplined to do instead what God wants you to do. Who can deliver me from this body of death? Thank God it's found in Christ Jesus. Great answer. The power of Christ will help us choose what we want most over what we want now. Now, how do we, how do, we do this? How do we train ourselves to win? Train to win what matters most. How do we move from where we are to becoming disciplined in the right examples? Um, I'm going to read a scripture to you that Paul wrote to the Corinthian church, and he's talking here about running a race. And now, here's the context. He's in Corinth, which is in Greece, and um, Corinth is on this isthmus. You know, it's a little kind of a narrow section of land between two bigger pieces of land. And um, they had, um, you know, the, the people would have been very aware of what he was talking to them about. They would have understood the context and into this because they were into something called the Isthmian Games. Is, Isthmian Games, okay? You're not supposed to say the TH part of that, but I see it in the word and I have to try it. And it doesn't, you know, Isthmian Games, right? And so the Isthmian Games was like the Olympics, it was contemporary. The Olympic Games, which was games in Olympia, also in Greece, not just up the road, just in case you were confused by that. So like the Olympia Games would happen and then not again for four years, just like they do now. And in the year before the Olympian Games and after the Olympian Games was the Isthmian Games right there in Corinth. They weren't very far apart. So it was a big deal. And these were just as big as the Olympian Games. Then they had the Pythian Games, which were in the other year. You don't care about that. Okay, so, so but anyway, so this is, this, this is going on. These people were into these athletic events just like we get to be. I mean, just like we all care that the Seahawks won the, the, the Super Bowl. Just checking. Okay, so they were into this. And so he is using this metaphor about a race, and they're understanding it completely. Now, the games that they had there were a little bit different than our Olympics now. They had, they had wrestling, they had boxing, they had something called pancreation, which was basically trying to beat each other to death. And the only rules were you couldn't bite or, or gouge out the eyes, which I think they probably did anyway. They had some music and poetry too, but then they had races. It was, and they had chariot races, which was like a chariot and four horses. Just like in Ben-Hur, man, that would be amazing to see that. Four horses, one chariot, hold on. Um, so the point was that there, there were these games, and these people, they were patriotic about it because they were in a race, and they represented their community, and it was a big deal. They wanted to win. So 1 Corinthians 9, um, verse 24, and start, start in 24. Don't you realize that in a race, everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize? And then he says this statement, which is probably the most common statement that coaches say to athletes. <laughs> he says, so run to win. All athletes are disciplined. There's our word. They're disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away. They do it to win a prize that's going to fade away. But we do it for an eternal prize. He says, all athletes are disciplined to run to win. Not to place. Not to show, not second, not silver, not bronze. They're going for the gold. And you and I are running to win a race too. And it's to maximize what the Lord has put into our lives to, to be able to share his love with people around us. So we're running to win. We're not running to come in third. We're running to win. And these athletes would have had, you know, they would have been very disciplined Train. They would have been training. They would have been chosen. If they were going to be in these games, they would have been chosen. Um, you can read about this. It's interesting, but they would have been chosen and they would have been sent away for this special training that was about 10 months long. And in that time, they, were, um, it was, they, would, they would go to a place called the gymnasium. You've heard that word before, gymnasium, right? Okay. I love to find out what words mean. Okay. So if you, that's a Greek word. Gumnos is the, the Greek word for gymnasium. Um, and literally, the word means naked. 
So they would be sent to training, and literally the word gymnasium means either naked training or naked school. That's what it means, I'm just telling you, okay? So I know some of you guys have friends, and you say, hey, I'll meet you at the gym later, and we'll work out together. What you're literally saying is, I'll meet you at naked training later for us to work out. I just want you to know that, because I know there's some guys here who like to work out in the gym, okay? So flex your muscles on that one, okay? All right. Okay, so it literally means that, and, and, and that'll, that'll be relevant here in a minute. Right now, you think I'm off on a rabbit trail, and I'm out of control. It could be true. So anyway, they'd be in this 10-month training, and they'd have a very, very strict diet, absolutely no alcohol, no Doritos, no junk food. They were only fed things that would build their body up, make them stronger and healthier. They, they would expose these athletes in that 10 months to extreme cold. They would expose them to extreme heat. The point was to get their body ready to perform under the most difficult circumstances because they wanted them to win, to win. In fact, when they would actually run their race at this time in history, what would be common, and the reason they called it naked school or naked training, was that they would literally strip down, and that's what the race was. They didn't even have, they didn't even have Nikes. Nothing. Glad that your pastor can give you that picture, can't you? <laughs> we don't do that anymore in the Olympics, and um, I'm glad about that. So, so you can read about this. So there's, there's a reference to this in Hebrews 12, verse 1. It says, where the author of the Hebrews, he says, Let us strip off every hindrance and the sin that so easily entangles and run the race marked out for us with perseverance. When he said, let us strip off every hindrance, they knew exactly what he was talking about because that's what running a race meant. The clothes would come off. I mean, today our athletes have skin suits. You see it in this, particularly in track and field and in swimming events. They have these suits and now they're arguing over what's legal because they're so slippery to the water, so slippery to every hindrance, strip every hindrance off. Every hindrance of sin that so easily entangles these people knew exactly what this was when, when he wrote this to the people, of the, the Hebrews. Back to verse 25 of our text. He says, they do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. We don't do this to receive some earthly crown. We do it to receive a crown that's going to last for eternity. Now, they ran to win and they wanted that prize. Let me tell you what their prize was. It was this, these leaves, this reef that would go on their head. That's it. Of course, they got the glory of the wind, but they would, you know, and, and for us as followers of Christ, you know, we're living for something beyond that, something eternal and glory. Something about the day that we will stand in the presence of God. Something about bringing him glory. Something, something about, you know, we use everything in us to bring glory, to share the good news, to share and make his name known. And then suddenly, we're not just just self-disciplined, but we've got this secret weapon. We're spirit-disciplined. We're Holy Spirit-led, Holy Spirit-disciplined people. And that spirit helps us overcome the power of sin. That's how it works. You know, he said, who will free me from this life that's dominated by sin and death? Who can help me overcome temptation? Who can help me overcome the power that sin seems to have in my life? When I, when I continue to do the things that I don't want, who can help me overcome that? My help is found in Jesus Christ, our Lord. 
And that's got the power. He's got the power to help me overcome. Um, verse 26, so I run with every purpose, or with purpose in every step. I'm not just shadow boxing. In other words, he's not fighting against an imaginary enemy. This is the real deal, a real enemy who comes to kill, to rob, and to destroy. And so I'm trained to, to, to run with the power of God in my life, and then no weapon formed against me will prosper. I love this. I love this. Verse 27, I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Because I'm not self-disciplined anymore. I'm spirit-disciplined. And the spirit of God helps discipline my body. Not to do what it wants to do, but instead to do what he wants it to do. So I run with purpose in every step. Now, when you get this, when you decide... You know, I'm choosing what I want most over what I want now. Suddenly you're running with purpose in every step. You know, I'm saying no to this food and saying yes to feeling better. I'm, I'm saying no to my financial temptations and saying yes to getting out of debt. I'm saying yes to, I'm going to love my wife as Christ loved the church. I'm saying yes to raising my children to become changers of their environment, ambassadors for Christ, world changers. And you wake up with this power of God living inside of you and you run with purpose in every step, every single step, because God's directing, God is leading and ordering your steps. There's purpose in every single step. And even though I'm weak, even though I want what's convenient, I want what's easy, (laughs) I want what helps me feel good, more than that, God gives me the power to want what matters most over what I want now. And some of you might sit back right at this moment and say, okay, glad for you, Terry, preacher boy, down boy. Uh, that's easy for you because you're Terry, preacher boy. I want you to know that cannot be further from the truth. I mean, I mean, the power of sin is just as real in my life. The pull of temptation is every bit in real, as real in my life as it is in every single one of yours. <laughs> and, and, and it's just it's just real just ask my wife <laughs> you know I'm not naturally spiritually disciplined but the spirit that dwells within me different story it helps me become more disciplined in the things that matter the most by the power of Christ I'm disciplined to choose the things that matter most over what I want now and, and, then, and then for me when I, when I tap into that spiritual power, it creates, I think, some positive spiritual momentum. And there's an example. And um, I, I read this book by this guy who's talking about habits. And he has a phrase that he calls keystone habits. A keystone habit is a habit that, that if you do it, it creates positive momentum in your life and it leads you to other positive things that you do in your life. But on the other hand, if you compromise those keystone habits... It not only doesn't accomplish that thing, but it unravels in other areas that make you, leads to other undisciplined areas of your life as well. So for, this is a personal example. For me, uh, one of my keystone habits is this, the floss. Now, do not get your floss out and start flossing right now. However, Lisa is going to come up and give us a demonstration for the proper (laughs) flossing table. She's not actually going to do that. <clears throat> How convenient that we have floss the same day that we have strawberry shortcake. In case you get any seeds, you can floss later. Anyway, but we weren't thinking, are there seeds in those? Okay, that was stupid. I'm not a botanist, okay? <clears throat> All right. Anyway, how many churches can you get to that give you free floss and, and shortcake on the same Sunday? One that I know of. But this is emblematic for me of, 
a keystone habit for me because I hate to floss. I do, but I hate it. And it's the first thing to go. If I'm going to say, I, I'm too busy today, I'm too much under the gun, it's the first thing coming off the list. <laughs> Feels so good to confess. <laughs> now, if I can do this the next time I'm in for the checkup, I'll feel clean everywhere. How many people actually floss more for a few weeks right before your checkups? Is it just me? <laughs> oh, hey, okay. You're not going to tell on me, are you, Lori? Lori works at a... No, okay, all right. I mean, I mean, the thing is that, that... Here's how that works. When I floss, I feel better about myself because I feel like it's something good for me, and I do so I feel more disciplined. Now, I've started that. I think, okay, well, I'm flossing. I don't want to waste this. I'm going to eat right. I eat right. I have more energy. I have more energy now. I sleep better. I sleep better. I wake up refreshed. I wake up refreshed. I take time with the Lord. I read the Bible. I read the Bible. I I feel like God's speaking to me. I'm closer to God. Now I go through my day. I'm being spirit-led. Why? Because I floss. (laughs) But if I don't floss, I don't feel so good. About myself, because I know I should have done it and I didn't do it. So I might as well have Doritos for breakfast with sugar on there. And not just two, but the whole thing. And now, I don't exercise either, because why exercise when you're putting all that junk in your system? It doesn't do you any good anyway. So skip the exercise, plus it's raining and you get your car dirty. I mean, it makes no sense. So then, I'm not eating right, I'm not exercising, I don't sleep too well. So... I wake up late. Well, now I'm late. I'm running. I don't have time for God. And I'm kind of running now my day on the flesh instead of on the spirit. And I'm going through my day and people drive too slow and they drive me crazy. And so I pass them and now I'm speeding and I didn't see the cop. And now he's following me and I'm going fast and I don't feel like pulling over. So I take off. (laughs) And eventually they put up this blockade and they stop me. And when I get out of the car, they don't even want to talk. They tase me and I'm on the floor and the guy from the newspapers is there taking my picture. And it's in the newspaper, and the church unravels. Pastor busted, busted. Why did all that happen in my life? Because I didn't floss. That's what a keystone habit is. You can use the floss. You can throw it away, but I encourage you to keep it in your pocket for a while. And when you pull it out, think, oh, keystone habits. I have to call Pastor Terry to tell him to remember to floss. No, don't call me. But this is a memento uh, for you. This is just a way to make a point that there are areas of your life, maybe it's not flossing, but there are things that if you do them, they're a keystone habit for you. And if you're not sure what they are, we're going to come to that in a few minutes because I think the Lord will speak to you. And believe me, the Lord might be speaking to some people, Terry, floss, because he knows it sets a chain of things in motion and he's in the chain and he doesn't care where he is. He just wants to be in the chain. You know, maybe, you know, maybe you think I'm exaggerating. I guess, I suppose, you know, just a bit. If I don't floss, doesn't mean I'm going to get tased by the police. <laughs> but it does create spiritual momentum in my life. Something as carnal as flossing. It does. 
and it'll create spiritual momentum in your life as well. So I want to ask you two application questions. The first one should be pretty easy, and hopefully the second one will as well, and I want to help you uh, figure out what the habits might be. So the first question I want to ask, don't answer this out loud, but you should be able to answer this. What do you want most? First question is, what do you want most? Should be easy. Write it down somewhere so you can say it to yourself and say, yeah, what do I, is this really what I want the most? You know, I mean, maybe you want to lose 30 pounds. Write it down. I mean, maybe you, know, you say, I want to get married in the future. Or I want to get my cholesterol where it belongs. Or I want to get close to God like I used to be. Or I want to get out of debt. Whatever it is, write it down. What do you want most? And the second thing I want to talk about will be you know, an issue of discipline. In this series, the first week we talked about finding from the Lord one word that would direct us, just a simple word. Second week we talked about one thought. The third week we talked about a statement. Today I want to talk to you about one discipline. And so I want to ask you a question that will help you determine maybe what that one discipline will add to your life and um, help you glorify the Lord in the way that you walk and you talk. And that question is this, your one, one discipline. What do you need to do now to have what you want most? What do you need to do now to have what you want most? What one discipline do you need to add to your life right now that will lead you toward what you ultimately want most? Think about it. It, it shouldn't be that hard. You know, do you want to get in shape? then maybe what you need to do, your habit is maybe you need to hire a trainer because you put money into it and you feel like, I mean, maybe that's the thing you need to do. You want to get closer to God. Maybe maybe you need to pick, there's a hundred of them out there. Maybe you need to pick some simple Bible reading program and go to a friend and say, hey, I need help with this. You need help with this. Let's pack together. Let's read the Bible each day and keep each other accountable. And so you you do that. Or, or maybe... Maybe you need to get closer to God. And ladies, the next time we say the women's Bible study is starting, maybe you need to sign up and participate. And you know that the Holy Spirit has spoken to you. And that's the habit that the Lord wants to create. I promise you something about that, by the way. You'll get way more out of that than the the time it costs you in ways that can't be measured. So... And I think some of us, some of us, maybe we need to stop hem-hawing around and you know, put God first in our finances and trust him with the tithe. Maybe some of us need to clean out our pantry and toss out the Twinkies and the Doritos and, and start instead keeping, <laughs> somebody said amen. Um, and, and we need to keep healthy foods in there that are nearby so that when the impulse comes, what we grab is something good for us. Or maybe some of you just need to get in the car when you leave here and turn to your mate and say, we have to commit to date night. We've got to have a date night every week. If that's too much, every month, we'll move it up to every other week and then end with every... we got to have a date night where nothing's going on but each other. Some of you maybe need to commit to praying with your children every day before school. Something simple and short. And so what you need to do now is you seek God and say, Lord, what's the one thing that I need to do? What is the one habit that you want to start fresh and new in me that will help me later have what I want to have most? 
and you admit to him that you're not self-disciplined, but you want to be spirit-disciplined. So here's a quick blast review of the last four weeks, and then we're going to pray. In case any of you missed any of it, i got to have a drink of water. first week, we asked the Lord for a single word that would direct us, and, and, and we read a scripture that says, where he said, don't despise small beginnings. The Lord does not despise them. He loves to see, he rejoices to see a work begin. Second week, we talked about how our thoughts matter, um, because we learned that our life is always going to move in the direction of our strongest thoughts. The strongest things that we're focused on, our life's going to move that direction. And what we're going to do instead is take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. Think of things that are excellent and lovely and pure. Week three, we talked about the fact that our words have the power of life and death. So we're not going to let any unwholesome talk come out of our mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up. Because if we want to change the life we have, we've got to change the words that we speak. And then... With the power of Christ today, we're learning we're going to choose what, what we want most over what we want now. And as we ask the Lord's Spirit, will guide us and lead us. And then one day, somebody's going to come up to you, and when God promotes you to a place in life where you are influencing people, where you are making a difference in the world, someone's going to come up to you and say, hey, what are the really big things that you do that make this possible? And you're going to say, no, 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 you don't get it. It's not the big things. It's the small things that no one sees that bring the big things that everyone wants. Let's pray. God, I want to thank you that you reward us, your children, when we're faithful in these little itty-bitty things, when we're faithful in the small. Your word tells us that when we're faithful in small things, that you step in and you will give us bigger things to superintend, bigger things to, to oversee. And so, Lord, we lean now, right now, into you. We lean not in our own ways, on our own understanding, but instead we lean into you, Lord. We acknowledge you in all our ways, trusting your promise that you will direct our paths. 